Ladies and gentlemen, how's it going? Uh, it's Dervin, Dervin DeMonch here, uh, your host of, uh, co-host, excuse me, of Synonyms of Sound. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, Chris Rudin on the show today. Um, Chris, it's definitely a, a pleasure to, to, to have you uh, joining us. Definitely looking forward to getting into uh, what you've been up to I appreciate recently. you guys having me. All right, guys. Um, Tony again from Synonyms of Sounds. You know, very excited to have Chris. So, um, Chris, what's going on in your world today? Man, everything. Uh, doing a few podcasts today, doing some content today, but mostly like staying the track and building life that I want to be proud of. You know, and that starts with the day by day decision to do something, even when you don't feel like doing anything. You know. Are you are you one like of those that. individuals? Before you start your day, you need to make your bet. I feel there's a lot of like. There's a lot of, you know, thought behind, like, before you do anything to be productive, you have to make your bed. Are you one of those guys? So here, here's where I'm going to throw a wrench at most people's, like, grind, hustle, kill mentality. I don't have that mentality. Um, I, I love quality of life. Some days my bed is messy. Some days it's clean. Some days I start my day with a very regimented setup. Some days I'm barely getting out of bed, you know. Um, my thing is no two days are usually the same. So... 100% intensity is kind of like my concept, but that's relative to the day because on a day you can only give 60%, give 60%. But if you can give 200% one day and you only choose to give 100, I fault that version of me much more than the person that can only give 30 and still gives 30. So it's all relative to what you can give. And the human experience is not static, it's dynamic. So some days my apartment will be the cleanest. I start my bed by making, I make my bed, you know, and some days it's a struggle, you know, that's just the reality. I like that. All right, man, I feel you there. Um, it's, uh, it kind of reminds me to that saying, common saying, you hear it a lot, uh, especially when you're like going through things and having these moments, people tell you to take things yeah. day by day. Um, I remember um, in college, I experienced an Achilles tear best thing that ever happened to me though because uh, you know i had so much time to real reevaluate you know myself the people around me and just bounce back a lot better but i really had to take it day by day and um, that point you make about you know you know someday you're you're giving it 110 percent one day you're giving it 30 percent it's really about you know what you can do that day and um it's from a mental health perspective uh i it's something i need to write down and remind myself it, it's the awareness and you know the the similarities between the days where you can only give 20% and the days you can give 1,000%, there's one similarity, and it's choice. We have a choice on how much we give to ourselves, to our behaviors, to our actions, to the noise, to everything. We have a choice. And often on good days, we choose to give some but not a lot, and on bad days, we choose to not give what we can. Um, the space between what happens and what you do is a decision. It's a choice. And if we started making slightly more effective, not better, but more effective choices, we'd have a more effective life and a more effective outcome. And it comes down to responsibility. And it's not just your responsibility to do something, which, yes, that's your life. It's the responsibility, the ability to respond to anything that happens to you. And it comes down to the one thing we can always control, choice. I like that breakdown of responsibility. Um, I, I think that really does put, you know, that word in a different perspective. Um, you know, when have you been thrown a, a, a huge curveball in your life where you did have to like reflect and think about responsibility and what would be the next thing 
to get you out of that curveball or, or that rut? So uh, one of the biggest ones for me, like the, we talk about the power of moments and there's a book called The Power of Moments. And I feel like a lot of people have those, those shifts in perspective because of something that happens. And it's not usually like a Disney moment where it's like one magical moment and everything gets better linearly for the rest of your life. That's not how it works. For me, getting diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, you know, I was born with physical disability. I have uh, two fingers on my left hand and a shorter left arm. So I battled being an amputee, limb different person my entire life. But getting diagnosed with diabetes and autoimmune disease at 19, that was a huge curveball. Up until that point, I was majoring in uh, political science because I thought that my love for arguing with people should make me a lawyer, you know? And I realized that that's not a good reason to be a lawyer. I felt that way too. I completely <laughs> understand where you're coming from. I felt that way too. I really thought that was the answer, you know? And I was like, no, nah, maybe that's not it. I ended up getting diagnosed with diabetes, spent a few days in the hospital, and I was like, what can I do with where I'm at right now to make my life better? And I was like, wait, you teach best what you need to learn most, you know? You find, for me, I found that in helping other people, that's the only way I'd help myself, because I'm more motivated to help other people than I was myself at the time. So I changed my degree to exercise science, and I wanted to learn how to create systems for a minority of people that are forgotten, you know? Disability is the largest minority in the world. One in four people have a disability. And when you go to gyms, when you do fitness, any sort of activity level, you know, it's made for people with two arms, two legs. It's made for people who are neurotypical. It's made for specific types of people that are considered the norm by society. But we all know the norm by society is kind of messed up. So I made it my mission to help people who were in underserved communities relative to what I was in, disability and disease state space. And uh, I found my passion not only for fitness, but for speaking and for giving the true quality I wanted to give people. I didn't really want to help people get abs. I thought I did. I wanted to help people lose weight. But what I realized I wanted to help people with was a better quality of life mentally. Because I don't care how ripped you are. I don't care what car you drive. If your quality of life mentally is not there, you can't enjoy everything you earned, you know? I'm so I'm so happy you said that because um, it really uh, makes me think. So I, I've I've got a good friend um, who uh, and excuse the the you know background sound if you hear that by the window here, but I've got a good friend who you know was going through some things and uh, transitioned, um, and you would have never known that 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 this person was dealing with these things. This was someone that was so fast to check up on you, um, lift up other people and things of those sorts, and. Uh, you just would have never known that uh, he he was just on the brink there. Um, so uh, I I just wanted to to mention that you know, to your point, uh, just the level of awareness sometimes uh, self awareness, but also just awareness like for the people around you and being mindful of what you, you you're going through. Uh, just the point yeah, you made I made mean, me think of that. And not even I'll specifically mention this, but high functioning depression. It's something that I battled with a majority of my life. You see someone who maybe has a social media following or maybe is successful in finance or wealth or career or relationship or something. You see some level of success and you're like, there's no way you could be depressed. You don't look depressed. I also don't look diabetic and you don't look stupid, but you confuse the shit out of me now. You know, it's people assume that what they see is everything. They assume that the superficial view is what they get. So, you laughed, you can't be depressed. That's not true. You don't know the stuff people are dealing with because it's not their job to tell you. And it's also not your job to assume. That's the problem. 
one of the best ways to realize that if someone might be struggling with something, those people who are happy-go-lucky and constantly lift people up, that's the only like serotonin they get is by helping other people. You know, think Robin Williams, some of the most happy people committed suicide, but he was so happy. You don't know that. That's just the story you told yourself from what you saw on the outside. So awareness, there, we require a level of awareness and self-awareness, but we also require a level of like uh, inquisition. Like we have to ask, ask if your friends are okay. Ask if your circle is okay and don't brush them off because you think you know, because you don't. I'm sending a text to all my friends just asking that question, but I also agree with you that there are certain levels of people, when people think about disability, they just assume the physical, but there's so many different versions of disability. And okay. I love that you talked about high functioning people that have depression. Like yeah. you think someone is so successful and they're doing so well, they're always happy, but they're, they have so many demons and, and scars that they're facing with. So I love that you kind of mentioned that, but also wanted to talk about that book that you had in your hand. Like I saw it for a second. So let me know a little bit about the, the book that you recently made. So uh, I was actually just doing a video on this earlier, The Upper Hand. This has been uh, like 31 years in the making, I could say. Oh, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> I didn't Durbin even... with the book. I love it, baby. I didn't even All right. I, I need to get the book. I need to get yes, the book. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So my book is one, it's called The Upper Hand because I love making dad jokes about my situation because for 20 years, I couldn't face it and I was numbed out and disassociating pretending like nothing was wrong when everything was wrong because I was hiding part of who I was. You know, I was so resistant to the idea of being different. I wanted to fit into the norm. I wanted to be the majority. I hated the fact that I was in a minority. I was like, oh my God, I'm being put in a box. I'm being put in a box. I hate this, you know? And then I realized like, wow, that box was the best position ever because that box was created by me. You know, uh, we're, we're all a minority in the sense of everyone's an individual. Everyone looks different. Everyone is different. You know, if you walked into Starbucks and everyone looked the exact same as you, you'd be like, what the hell is going on? But you walk into Starbucks, everyone is different and you're completely fine because different is normal. Somehow, some way we've convinced ourselves that differences are bad. And, but we know that they're normal. It's so weird. But with this book, I always heard that phrase, communication is key. And I'm sure you guys have heard that, right? Communication is oh, key. Oh yeah, 100%. Communication is key. Here's the problem. Absolutely. Communication is key, but that's step two because self-communication is key. That's step one. If you can't communicate with yourself, how the hell do you expect other people to communicate with you? Why are you required? Wow. It's true. It's true. Think about that though. Like I'm going to run that back for a second. It is. What you want from other people, you're not willing to do yourself. That's why I wrote this book because I was like, how do we develop the systems to talk with ourselves so that we can present our best selves. You know, um, I have six concepts in this book that help people just really break that down and say like, what are the limitations we've created? How can we break through them? How can we validate the things we feel, but also strive for more effective ways of dealing with life? We all cope with life differently. You know, I just try and give people some mechanisms that I've learned along the way. So if there was, let's say a reader that read your book and what is the one most important thing that you'd want them to take away outside of like being able to self-communicate? Is there another gem that the book is really trying to like give this person when they, you know, they put the book down and they go off to life? There, there's a few in there, but one that I can think of specifically right now is who you have been up until this point is not who you have to be. 
I don't care what circumstance you've gone through. I don't care what bad things you've done. I don't care what good things you've done. Who you have been up until this point is not who you have to be. You hear a lot of people say, oh, that's just who I am. That's not true. That's who you're choosing to be in the moment. Because every single moment you have an opportunity to improve, stay the same, or regress. A choice, like I said from the beginning of this. Everything is a choice. The lack of choice is a choice. So one of my favorite parts of the book, uh, and it's actually early on in the book, and I've got the excerpt here because it, it really resonated with a situation I was dealing with, um, you know, right around the time where, you know, I was fortunate enough to receive this from you. Of course. Um, you know, thanks again for that. Um, it's uh, right on page 16. You've got it in quotes, focusing on what you cannot control is a losing strategy. And then right after that, you get into just your reasoning around why you wrote this book and it says, I wrote this book to try and help you get out of the same kinds of crappy thought patterns that I got myself out of by changing the way I look at things, changing the lemons I created for myself, and changing how I interpreted the sourness of those lemons. In life, things happen that we wouldn't necessarily sign up for, but it's not about what happens to us that's important. What's important is what we do with what happens to us. And um, I wanted to read that out loud because hopefully, uh, just like with what happened to me, a listener is going to hear that and they're going to be going through a situation and, and it's like, all right, I've been dealt these cards. It's, it's all about what I do Absolutely. from here, you know, and, and how I so take it. To preface that too, uh, I start that with talking about how we've heard the phrase when life gives you lemons, you know, um, but I'm sure everyone's heard that, but lemons are a genetically modified type of fruit. They actually don't exist naturally in nature. They're a modification of certain plants. So, Life never gave you lemons. We created them as humans. We created the lemons. And then we complain about getting lemons because we gave ourselves the lemons in the first place. And that's really related to problems that we maximize when in reality, let's be real. Okay. A person you knew no longer is in your life. I did not know that. Okay. Well, I did not know there that. That's, that's I just like learned something one. crazy new. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I know I recently learned something about tilapia, which is an artificial fish, yeah, yeah. but didn't know that about lemons. Yeah. That is so crazy. But think about that. There's so much knowledge in life that we've come to think is okay. Like life gives you lemons. Oh no. But does it? What happens if we started questioning things more? What happens if we started questioning that inner monologue that says we can't and say, but maybe we can. If we say that because that person left us, we're destroyed, but maybe you're not. What happens if we started a healthy line of questioning that said what you're going through, maybe there's something on the other side. Instead of dooming yourself, dooming your current self to a future pain that you're currently feeling, just because you feel something now doesn't mean it's going to be the same way forever. Just because you went through something, you felt something in the past doesn't mean that's what your future is. Because I promise you, feelings are not facts. And I'm going to say that again. Feelings are not facts. Just because you feel a certain way right now does not mean that that's what it is. And, bah, damn. Feelings are not And I facts. like that. And I have this question that I want to follow up with that. So I remember you mentioning in one of your interviews, you talked about taking the glove off. Yes. So talk to me about that process. Talk to me about, you know, what made you decide it was ready for the world to see your hand and take the glove off? What was the meaning behind the glove and what happened to your mental state after you took the glove? I know I asked a lot. No, you're good. You're good. So to, to run that for people who might not know, um, 
I have a prosthetic arm now, it's super cool, but I didn't get this until like three or four years ago. For 17 years, I hid my disability. I wore a glove. I kept my hand in my pocket for three years. Um, and to run that back, just so people understand, there was a girl named Crystal in school and that that's what really started everything for me. I worked up the courage to ask this girl, like it would be my first girlfriend in middle school. And I remember walking up to her desk, you know, and like really having the courage to ask her out. I look back and all my friends are laughing. I'm like, guys, stop. Like, what are you doing? You're gonna mess this up. And then I turn around and she's making fun of my hand, my residual limb, calling me claw boy with the stapler and she humiliated me. Um, I shoved my hand in my pocket and I kept it there for years. And then I ended up wearing a glove uh, because I was so restricted with having my hand in my pocket. But it was to the point where like, I would ask to go to the bathroom to take my backpack off because I refused to take my hand out of my pocket, you know? Um, I almost got arrested at Washington DC at the National Monument because the security asked me to take my hand out of my pocket and I said no. You know, so it was it was like super extreme for me. It was very crippling, oh, yeah, it sounds sure, like. Absolutely. It was the what's kind of ironic is the disability itself was not crippling. The interpretation of what I thought people would think was crippling. So So mentally, mentally it, it's, it was more mentally, okay, it I can't always completely is because get it. I don't know if you guys can read what's back here, but that frame is everything to me. It's, we often suffer in our imagination more than we do our reality. And I suffered from trying to control what people thought of me. And I realized what people think of you is not your business. It's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to manage. So I wore That's a glove true. and uh, I wore a fingerless glove and I ended up playing drums. So I put a drumstick through the finger hole of a glove. I played drums for six years, marching band, jazz, spin, all that, drum set. Uh, I was on drum line and I did everything with this glove and I became known as the guy with the glove. So I created a false sense of confidence, charisma and security as the guy with the glove to the point where no one questioned me because they just thought it was cool. I created a whole identity around being insecure and society embraced me. And that was probably the worst thing ever because it was a false sense of security. People, I was like, oh, everyone loves me. No one loved me. They loved the version of me that I fabricated. I didn't even know who I was. I didn't even love me because I didn't know who I was. You know, so I did that up until I was 27 years old, up until like four years ago. Wow. So what, what changed at 27 that you decide to like, let the world see you as who you are? I always thought about it, but I always push that idea around. You know, when you like come up with an idea and then you push it away, you're like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Or you, that inner monologue tells you like, no, you can't do that. I did that. And uh, there was two moments. One was I was speaking at an event at a Disney resort and I was walking down this long hallway with this little girl. She was like eight years old. Uh, I just spoke for 4,000 people keynoting. So everyone was there to like see me and stuff. It was cool. We're walking down this hallway and I have my glove on like normal. And she grabs my, my hand with the glove. And I'm like mortified. I'm like, Bro, what are you doing? Like, and she's just swinging it and we're mm -hmm. walking. And she looks at me. She's like, it's okay. You don't have to hide around me. Wow. And I was wow, like, that's crazy. I was like, tell me how 4,000 people listened to me, but she's the only one who saw me. And I was like, damn. That it was a lot. It was a lot. So after that, I was like, all right, if I ever get a prosthetic arm, I'm going to take the glove off, you know, because it's almost impossible to get approved for a prosthetic arm. We're not going to get into disability justice right now, but um, to get approved for a $150,000 arm, which whole nother issue. Um, I fought for like six months 
and then I got approved. So I'm like, I can't go back on my word. What am I going to do? How do I do this? You know, like I had to jump in the deep end. So at the time I was with a girl of four years and I made a video of taking the glove off and she edited it for me. And that was the first time she saw my hand after four years. And, uh, I decided wow, to four years, on man. YouTube and just go to sleep. And I was like, whatever, you know, I woke up to millions of views. Washington post posted it, all these companies, all these like distribution companies were like putting it out there. I was getting all these calls from different companies and thousands of emails from people like supporting and saying like, I struggle with that too. So it was pretty crazy. And then months after that, uh, the rock, you know, ended up him and his team reached out to me and I didn't apply to be on the show. They reached out to me and invited me to compete for a spot on Titan games. Um, and then it, it was crazy from there. Amazing, man. Amazing story. Congrats, I appreciate man. It. it. It's a lot. It's it's hard to break through that kind of stuff, you know, and I, I feel for anyone who's going through stuff like that because uh, I know how tough it is. And my timeline is different. Some people did it really quick. Some people are still going through it. So your timeline doesn't have to be mine and vice versa. I don't feel guilty for how long it took me, you know, just as you shouldn't feel guilty for how quick or how slow you're getting through something. Now, I've, I've got to ask, did I hear you correctly when you said that for someone to get their hands on or to get a prosthetic arm like that, <clears throat> it would cost them $150,000? Yes. So prices of prosthetics, depending on, this is a, a more advanced one, but still. Um, prices for prosthetics range from fifty yeah. to two hundred thousand um, dollars. And if you think about someone who has four prosthetics, I know a buddy of mine named Pedro. He has four prosthetic limbs. He's walking around with almost a million dollars worth of you know prosthetic. Now, obviously, there's massive inflation with that. There's massive price gouging and supply demand. We talk about that. You can charge someone who needs a limb pretty much anything because where are they going to go? What else are they going to do? You know, so unfortunately, there's a lot of issues with that. Insurance companies will cover portions of it, but uh, sometimes, rarely, but sometimes. But think about the underserved communities who don't have access to insurance. What do you do then? The underserved communities who don't have access to good educators or, or medical professionals that'll fight for you. They get one denial and they say, oh, sorry, you know. So there's so many people who need stuff like this. I'm fortunate to be in the position to know the people that I know and have access or have built access to where I came from. Where I came from was, you know, I was in a very low socioeconomic area. Um, I was fortunate, lucky even, you know, to be able to do what I do because a lot of people don't get that. Um, so if you do get an opportunity, you have to run with it. And that's why I appreciate you guys doing stuff like this because a lot of people almost don't have the opportunity to take time out and get value from people and give back to communities because they're struggling to keep their head above water, you know? So, uh, again, I appreciate what you guys yeah. are doing, just to say that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, man. And we, we are very appreciative of you. Um, I'm sure uh, your your audience and the, the following that you've grown is very appreciative of you as well. Um, and I've, I've shared this book with you know, some of my siblings, some of my friends, and they've really liked it so far. Um, me, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm born and raised New York City, Queens, you know, got some friends along the way who ain't make it too far. And 
uh, mental health is like a big, uh, big thing for me, especially right now that I'm just trying to be a little more mindful of not just with the people around me, but with myself as well. And um, a lot of powerful takeaways in that book that uh, I appreciate it. For me, it's like a constant work, Like I feel like it's our job as creatives, as people are willing to do this stuff or capable of doing this stuff to give back because a lot of people are discouraged from sharing the message, starting a podcast, doing something like, oh, too many people already do this. My story is not important. That's that negative inner monologue already dampening your individual, you know, sense of person. There's nothing in this world that was created by you guys or me until we created it. We all have an individual perspective. We're like, oh, but I'm not good enough. Again, that's the message. That's the narrative you're creating. Because if you helped one person off the ledge, if you helped one person live a better quality of life, if you help one person create new revenue streams, whatever you want to do, you helped one person. And if that one person was Steve Jobs, Oprah, like anyone who was great, like you just created a life, you created generational wealth and in a, in a level, you know? So we all have the same exact story. You guys have the same story as me, same story, exactly to a T, okay? You went through some crap, you got over some crap and more crap's coming. Same story, okay? The question is how do we take that story and derive a message from it that people can use it to better their lives. And that's uh, the answer to that question is up to everyone listening. I like that. Um, I did have one question about the prosthetic that you mentioned. You also mentioned it's very difficult to get. Oh one. yeah. Um, can you educate us on why is it why is it so difficult? It feels like. It may not be a necessity, but if someone wants it, why is it so difficult for them to get? Absolutely. Um, so in the medical space, the cost is extremely high and uh, insurance companies don't want to cover high costs. They pretty much refuse to cover high costs. They specifically told me, because I've lived so long without one, I shouldn't need one. Because I've, I've wow. been at a disparity. That's, that's you think crazy. About that. I've been at a disparity that's my whole life. And the person who was telling me this has two fully functioning hands. I literally on the phone asked them, what, how would you feel about tying one arm behind your back and working the rest of the month like that? Crickets, you know? Um, with kids in certain policies, sometimes they'll only approve one prosthetic, one prosthesis. Well, what happens when the kid grows out of it? What about the next one? We need a new size now. Nope, we already covered one, sorry. There's so many issues with that and it, it's frustrating because you have, I had to go to four different doctors to prove a medical necessity. I'm almost fortunate that I have other problems. I have diabetes, I have carpal tunnel, I have cubital tunnel. I have other issues. So I had to go to other doctors to prove why I needed the arm that I don't have. It's What do you think, what do you think it would take for I guess uh, the overall industry or the space to boom in such a way where I guess from a manufacturing and development standpoint, this becomes more accessible and, and more affordable for so just the everyday I, person. I want to get into the technical uh, aspect of what it would take, but I'm going to go to what it actually would take and why it probably won't work. It's one word. It's empathy. And powerful word, powerful word. Empathy and money are not synonymous. So healthcare providers don't care about people's health overall. And that's the issue. When we start getting the healthcare people to care about people's health, 
that's when changes start to really be made. Um, when society stops being so divisive and picking colors or sides like blue or red, you know, and we come together as humanity, that's when it would, that's when it would change. Sourcing technical parts, getting more availability. Yes, of course, those would all be factors, but humanity, humanity and empathy is, is what needs to change. Man, earth. Sometimes you'd think, you know, stuff like healthcare, a requirement was to care about people's health. Because unfortunately, uh, I'm sure anyone who's listening who's involved in the system, um, I've always been treated like patient number 47 and never like Chris. And that's the problem. I've been treated like my conditions, not like a person. So uh, it's crazy when you do get a good doctor or do get a good medical professional, you're like, oh my God, this is crazy. Why are we getting excited at the bare minimum? I guess, are there... That is such yeah, a great point. Definitely a great point. Um, are there any initiatives or like policies or anything that are coming out that we should be more aware of that can help this community? Um, or people that are pushing agenda to you know change like the, the health industry that you think that we should be more in tune I think, with? Uh, so I'm... Yeah, how can I'm we support sure, it and how like, can our listeners initiatives? Like, there's always uh, like things on Capitol Hill, like where we're promoting or pushing for certain specific bills to pass or not pass. But the hashtag disability justice is great to look at. If you just want to learn a little bit more, look at the hashtag disability justice and see what's going on. You know, New York is a really great uh, example of the lack of inclusion because there's so many missing wheelchair ramps and missing disability access points where a lot of the buildings were never upgraded or maintained to include people with disabilities. So uh, we know as the reality is we can't create a perfect world for everybody because that's, it's, it's nearly impossible. We'd have to have like so many different worlds, but we can create a better world for everyone. And that's the difference. Instead of trying to be perfect and not doing anything, we need to do enough to make it better for everyone, you know? And People might be like, oh, that's so like overly positive. It's not. It's a bare minimum human right because I didn't ask to be different. You know, none of these people asked to be different. No minority asked to be stigmatized. You know, all we're asking is for humanity to come together and care about each other. That's it. You know, it's not a big ask. It's really not. If you can dedicate 40 hours a week to a job you hate, you can dedicate 10 minutes to hearing someone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That, that, that might've, man, I had to clip that. That might've been the most powerful thing you said on the the call today. Because like, uh, it's basic, you know, it's not like I'm asking for someone to come serve me room temperature, you know, like wine right now because I have a disability. I'm not asking for like room service, you know, I'm asking for people to care. That's it. That's it. To stop be so it, what's crazy to me is people are so like tunnel vision into their life, but really they're tunnel vision into the life they think they should be living. They're tunnel vision into the life they see on social media that they're trying to replicate. So many people are trying to become a carbon copy of what they think success is that they never take a second to think, is this what I actually enjoy? Is this the life I actually want? Or am I living this because I think this is what I should be living? So many people, what they don't realize they're missing, that feeling, yeah. that void, that a lot of people are familiar with that they don't want to talk about, 
that void that they live with, that they try and run with, run from by watching Netflix or being busy or drinking or doing drugs, having sex or whatever, that void that everyone keeps avoiding, that human connection, real connection, not avoidance, connection. We're meant for it. I feel that I feel that point is I like agree. so profound. And I guess how was COVID for you? Like, I feel COVID gave a lot of people a lot of time to like think, think about perspective, think about life, think about their family. Like, how did COVID impact you the first six months when things took off in March of I think 2020? Um, so, to today? Uh, that was at the height, right, right before COVID, that was the height of my speaking career. I was like, oh, I'm destined for greatness. You know, I got this. Like, nothing can affect me. No one can stop me. Like, I'm killing it, you know? Um, and then I lost close to $90,000 worth of contracts. Overnight. Overnight. Damn, much, that, that Overnight, sucks. pretty much, my entire career went to shit. Uh, my entire plan completely went in the trash. And for the first time in a long time since I was growing up, I was afraid for money. And I had, I had a meltdown, dude. Like I spiraled and I was like, this is like my mental health just went down because I was so used to traveling, you know, 40 times a year. I was constantly traveling, constantly on the go, being at home, stuck at home. Um, and then realizing like everything I worked for in my head was gone. For some reason I allowed myself to believe that my value disappeared with COVID. That's where a lot of people mess up. And that's where I had to pull myself back and be like, no, my value is still here. I just have to pivot. So I decided to pivot. I decided to adapt to the change that was happening, change management. Suddenly that became a new aspect of my talking. You know, I started doing virtual talks and I started realizing, oh, oh damn, virtual talks might not pay as much, but I can do a lot more frequently and I'm home, you know, so I can, I can schedule, I can build out a business from it. Now, because of COVID, I've built in virtual talks into my business and even working with Durbin and like, he's helped me with that as well. Like, I've been able to do virtual talks for big companies and that's added to my business now. So what I thought hurt me the most actually helped me. And what's crazy is that's the same thing that happened with my disability. What I thought hurt me the most with my disability helped me. In reality, I turned my health issues into wealth issues. And I was like, oh man, I thought this was the worst aspect of my life. And now that same thing that used to hurt me helps me help other people. So sometimes and often we find solutions in the problems we're going through. And I found that good companies would improve their business because of COVID and companies that had rocky foundations went under. That's a good point. And I like that play. My health issues became yeah, my wealth yeah. issues. Um, I love that. Um, so I, it sounds like during COVID, you just redefined your craft and business module. So you became an even better version of yourself. I had to. Like it, it was a sink or swim thing. And like, I allowed myself to feel those struggle feelings. Like it was not, trust me, it was not a, a Disney moment where I'm like, oh my God, I've got it. Like I was depressed. It was terrible. <laughs> like, that's just the reality of what it is. I, real mental health is ups and downs. You cannot have good without bad. You don't know what light is without darkness. Like you can't appreciate something without having the opposite of it. Because then you don't know. You have no relativity. You have no scale to measure. So it's not that I encourage or want bad times. I just recognize them for what they are, times. They're not forever. They're not fatal. And let's be real. If they are fatal, like you have nothing more to worry about anyway. So like, you know, let's ask ourselves the real questions here. What can you do right now to make it suck less? That's it. 
and ask yourself in the future, is, there, is my decision going to help me or hurt me? Is my decision something I'm going to be proud of looking back? That's a great way to realize, uh, be self-aware and ask yourself, is this effective or not? You know, one, one of the things that I experienced um, in the height of the pandemic, right? So my, my experience going, dealing with the pandemic and going through it uh, with COVID and, you know, mandates and things of those sorts, my, uh, you know, financial situation actually improved. You know, I read more, I invested more aggressively, um, found more time to do certain things. Uh, but I found myself experiencing imposter syndrome. And that seems to have like trickled down, like even today, you know, there are some moments where I, I, I feel like I'm, ex well, not in that very moment, only afterwards, which is, which is funny about it afterwards, thinking about it, it's like, man, that was some real imposter syndrome shit. But uh, I guess, do you have any tips for anyone that might deal with, you know, imposter syndrome, anxiety, like, um, and you've provided tons of tips so far, but I don't know, like, like something that uh, someone can do in that moment to like kind of snap out of it, you know, whether it's like affirmations. And I know you said, you know, ask yourself that question, you know, like, uh, how does this benefit me? Or, or, you know, what can I do to make this suck a lot less right now? But is there any other strategies or like ways to, tr to train your brain or trick your brain when you find yourself so, kind of like in um, that slump? I used to practice you know? this, this, uh, what I want to call it right now is like toxic avoidance. And I see it a lot in hustlers on social media. Um, people who scream and curse a lot. The goal is not to avoid anxiety. The goal is not to avoid depression. It's not to pretend like it's not there. It's not to avoid imposter syndrome. It's to question, okay, this is real. I feel it. It's actually there. Is there, what is this telling me? Why do you have anxiety? Why do you have imposter syndrome? For me, I still struggle with imposter syndrome, anxiety, depression. All of those things are real. They, they don't go away, which is why I hate when people introduce me as like someone who has overcome my disability or overcome anxiety or depression. Like it's not something you overcome. You don't just, you're not just suddenly better. I'm not just suddenly like the king disabled guy. Like that's not how this works, you know? Um, I deal with it as it comes. Anxiety sometimes manifests in a way that's like, oh, hey, you know, you need to slow down a little bit and, you know, think about the, the risks or the consequences. Okay, think about the risks and consequences. That's my brain's mechanism of telling me like, hey, I want to keep you safe. Thank you, brain, for trying to keep me safe. But I realize that I can take it from here. And I realize that that safety mechanism is going to do more harm than good. So I'm going to continue forward. But thank you, brain, for trying to protect me. It's a protective mechanism. That's really what it is. We're almost checking ourselves to make sure being self-aware. Self-awareness comes in to help and says, I feel this way, but just because I feel this way, it doesn't mean it's true. Let's tell ourselves the full story. When you get in imposter syndrome or anxiety, we kind of say something like, oh, what if, what if people discover that I'm not as cool as I think I am, or I'm not as good as I think I am? What if, what if, what if? If we have the ability to tell ourselves that part of the story, why can't we also tell ourselves the other part of the story? What if you're not an imposter? What if the anxiety is just a small blip? What if things go great? What if you are on the right track? Why can't we tell ourselves the other side of the story to complete the story? We're so fixated on, I, I don't want to say negative, but we're so fixated on the stuff that predicts our demise because we've conditioned ourselves to get better at it. If someone wants to get better at a sport, they practice it every single day. We've practiced 
the negativity every single day. We've gotten damn good at it. We've gotten damn good at saying, oh, but I'm, it might not work. Oh, but I might fail. We've gotten so good at saying that part of the story, this side. But this side has been ignored. It's up to us to start saying, but what happens if I make it work? What happens if everything goes the right way? Man. Whew. Man, this this episode's gonna this episode's gonna change a lot of things for a lot of people, man. Uh, that's I, and this episode has already changed me, Tony. I don't know if you feel oh, that way. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I I needed this. I needed thing, this like, conversation. I a lot of people think I'm just like putting stuff out there. Uh, this helps me. It sharpens me to be like, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I facing right now? Most of my messages are derived from what I'm going through, you know, and like or what I have gone. When working through whether it's past trauma or struggles, like no one's perfect. And I'm not going to, I don't stand on a stage to speak down to people. I really picture myself in the crowd talking amongst peers. I'm not speaking to people because I'm better than them. I'm speaking to them because that happens to be my gift of, of communication. And I'm communicating with people, not at people. So when you find a gift you have, or when you find a passion you have, or when you find something, maybe you do process of elimination, all the things you don't want to do in life. And what you're left with is helping people do that, you know, and it doesn't have to be on a grand level. Hold the door open for someone, for that lady who's walking and she's a little farther and you don't want to hold it. You know, like I promise you, your, your Kit Kat or your Sprite can wait, you know, like hold the door open for people, like help more people. That's the best way to get out of that depressive funk is just go out there, give two people compliments and help two people with something. I promise you, you're going to be so much better. It does feel good. It does. You're right. It does feel Bro, good. Bro, compliment so someone on social media that you don't know. Thing. Go on their thing. You saw someone lose weight. Be like, hey, Kelly, I, that's awesome. Like, It looks like you put in a lot of effort. That's amazing. She's going to be like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's going to make her day, which in turn, not selfishly, is going to make your day. It's going to help you. So like... Adding to humanity removes the negativity and the, the, the pain that we feel. And that's part of the void. What I said, being human, be human. It takes effort to be human. It takes effort to give, but in giving, you also receive. So the law of reciprocity comes through. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And I guess, you know, on, on, the, on that, you know, process of you, you know, I feel like you have a lot of mantras. I feel like your headspace is definitely in the right area. How did you get there? Like who, what, what, what were you reading? Where did this like mindset come from? Which book did influence your life? Um, that's one question. And then, um, you know, how do you sustain that? Like, I feel like keeping that, you know, narrow focus is probably challenging. So how do you okay, keep so yourself a big shift for me was getting into stoicism, stoic philosophy, which basically teaches people to domesticate emotion, not to remove emotion, but to domesticate it so that emotion doesn't run your life. Emotions are normal, but emotions left unmanaged create a life of like despair. So getting into a book, the obstacle is the way was the main one uh, by Ryan holiday. Everything by him is incredible. Uh, so stoic philosophy helped me control the feelings that were controlling me and realize that there's no reason to make it worse, okay? Whatever you're going through is what you're going through and that's it. And one of the best ways I can put that is, I'll ask you guys right now, what are some emotions you get from a flat tire? Like random emotions that you feel? 
Frustrated, annoyed, tell you both of you are lying. You're absolutely lying because when you drive by someone who has a flat tire, you don't give a shit. You're not frustrated at all because you're only frustrated when it happens to you. Everyone is going through something personally. So you, we have to manage their own things that are up to us because your frustration won't help them just as your frustration won't help you with your flat tire. What helps you with the flat tire? Fixing it. That's it. The emotion does nothing. It does not serve you to make it worse. It doesn't serve you. So that really helps me. And that concept of like, does this help me or hurt me? No one has stressed their way into a successful situation. No one has ever said, thank God I stressed. No one. People are like, oh, easier said than done. Easier I mean, said that's than a good done. Good well, point. guess what? Better done than said also. True, true, true. All right. So I now have a more sensitive topic. So at the beginning, you had talked about, you know, being in a relationship for four years and your significant other never saw your hand. So why, why four years? Like, what was the thought process behind that? Um, was it not a safe space? I'm assuming it was just, I just want to understand. Nothing was safe at that time. And it was so, I was so disassociated from my disability that even around my parents, I hit it. I ran around everyone, like everyone, like literally everyone. So sometimes we sweep problems under the rug so much so that there could be a mountain under there, but we still pretend like it's not there. And that's what I did for a long time. And that's why I say like, I didn't really, really start living my authentic life. I'll say partially 27, but like realistically, maybe 30 years old when I started going to therapy, started embracing, like learning about how, what it means to be authentic, you know? And we all have, it's our responsibility to develop ourselves. And I just posted something today where I said, uh, I might get a lot of uh, crap for it, but your beliefs, destiny, religion is not an excuse. It doesn't remove your responsibility to better yourself. We can't rely on our beliefs or whatever religion or karma, destiny, anything like that. We can't rely on outside beliefs to avoid internal work that we need to do. It took me a long time, but I finally started doing that internal work. No relationship was going to help. No external thing like a relationship was going to help me do the work that I wasn't ready to do at the time. Of course. course. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Man, I'm, I was gonna, you know, ask, uh, you know, how you go about blocking out the noise and staying focused and, but you just gave us so many. I, and that's, that's, I want to, I want to ask that. I want to ask that because <laughs> a lot of people ask how but, to block uh, out the noise. I don't think it should be blocked out. I think it should be dealt with because when you block something, you're avoiding, you're pushing away, accept it, accept it, let it in, deal with it. That way it, it goes away on its own. Deal with things. Stop invalidating feelings. Like, deal with them. They're real. If you're insecure, you're insecure. Don't pretend like you're not. It's not a problem. We have stigmatized feelings, especially in men. We have stigmatized feelings. Cultures, different cultures and men have stigmatized feelings more than others. So, stop. Accept that you feel that way and accept that there might be a reason for that. Accept that you might need help. Maybe as a guy friend, reach out to your other guy friends and be like, hey man, like, What are you going through? Like, no, I'm good. Like, no, but for real, like, is there something that you're struggling with that you want to talk about? Like, I'm down. 
show that you care. Like one of my, one of my mentors said this quote and it always sticks in my mind. He said, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You could be the smartest person in the room, but I promise That's you true. the best connections are going to go to the charismatic person who cares about people. That's just what it is. So care more, just care more. And honestly, if you really care about you being improved, you being at a higher level in business and relationships and life, care more. The giver gets the most. The taker might get some, but at the end of the day, he's going to be left with nothing. You have to give. You have to care. You have to be human. That human experience is going to allow you to die on empty. Anything else, you're going to have so much left in the tank. And I think uh, I think the big takeaway uh, for me on this episode after that That's is it, man. Care more. to care more. We have I to. like that right there. To. Hashtag care more. What was so funny about that statement Absolutely is that dope. at the end of last year going into 2022, I called a couple of friends and said like, hey man, I just want to let you know like I care about you, I appreciate you, and thank you for being a part of my life. Like, I did it with multiple people, just letting them know, because I think you're right. Like we don't no. normally tell our male yeah. friends like, Hey man, I love you. And thank you so much for being a part of it. Like I learned so much from you. Like we don't do those accolades very often. I oh, think absolutely. you're right. I, I saw often. a like depressing thread of posts where a girl asked, what do you guys want for Valentine's day? And a lot of guys were like to be appreciated, to be valued, to get more compliments. None of them said red bottoms, you know, <laughs> none of them said, Tory Burt's shoes. None of them said, you know, <laughs> it was, it was quite a drastic difference <laughs> in needs, you know? Um, but I think drastically guys as a whole, we do need more. We don't have to be soft in that sense. Like, you know, it, I think we need to acknowledge like emotions don't have a gender and, uh, they need to be respected. Definitely do. Definitely do. Well, so, man, this is uh, this has been. I mean, I'm sorry about that, Tony. Do you? Uh, I cut you off. No, 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 no. I was just gonna ask, like, you know, so what's what's big that's happening in your life right now? Like, I know you mentioned before the pandemic, you had like so much going on, and you lost about ninety thousand dollars worth of business. But it sounds like you made it all back already. So, like, what's really big? Are we should should we be expecting another book? Should we be expecting an action movie? You know, you got no, the man, physique like it. So what's happening next? To make me look big, but um, uh, so I'm <laughs> another book. Well, two other books. The next one is going to be more short form, um, and then the the following one's going to be a longer format that's less about me and more about concepts. But those are in the pipeline. I do have management company, so I do like acting gigs here and there and commercial work. My main passion is in speaking, and I'm doing that fully. That has been ramping up like crazy. So I love being able to speak on stage. My ultimate goal is to teach other speakers in underserved communities how to become speakers and leaders to penetrate communities that I can't get into, that I can't have the full effect, you know? So that's my ultimate goal is to empower other speakers and prepare them for business and delivery of communication. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I consult for a few big companies that you've probably been in um, buying stuff. Girls love to go places like this. So uh, I love consulting for companies and helping them develop technologies or systems to help people's lives with disabilities more effective, better quality of life. Um, 
I'm doing exactly what I never dreamed of, you know? And I love, I just want to continue doing what I'm doing, man. I, I don't have to be famous or rich. I don't care about it. Uh, what I care about is giving value and knowing that at the end of the day, I am becoming the person I never had growing up. So that's my job. That's awesome, man. And then I guess two other follow-up questions. Like, so if someone that's listening that wants to get in contact with you and um, have you be a speaker or, you know, do some type of engagement, how can they get access to you? Two, uh, we didn't really talk about how can someone get access to your book? Is it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble? Like, Uh, Both of those questions kind of be answered on my website as well. So my website, chrisrudin.com, that's where all my people book me through speaking. I also have a speakers bureau, executive speakers bureau, but if you go directly through me, it's quicker channels. Um, My book is available. A link is on my website, but through Amazon or Barnes & Noble, completely fine, as well as Target and a few other major retailers. I was Barnes & Noble bestseller, which is pretty cool. Um, But in terms of the book, it was cool. I'm not going to lie. Congrats, Um, man. Congrats. But if you ever want to really get through to me, message me on social. You know, I have blue check mark. Yeah, but I talk to everyone. Literally, people are like, I can't believe you wrote me back. I'm like, I'm not a douchebag. Like, I'm a person. I'm a real person. You know, like, if you want to communicate, you want to throw ideas around, you are struggling, reach out. Uh, Maybe you need an unbiased perspective. Maybe you have an idea. Maybe you just want to shoot the shit. Like, I'm here. And I love that. I love being in a position where I can give back because it's something I wish I had you know, when I was going through it. So it's my job to be that version that I never had. All right, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Um, You guys, you know, you heard it here first. Uh, You know where to, you know, tune in. Uh, You know how to get in touch with them. And you know how to uh, book them if you need to. This is uh, Synonyms of Sound. Uh, Make sure you subscribe. That's it. uh, Thank you guys so much for having me. Hashtag care more. Thank you, man. Thank you so much.